Hello, and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. And this week, I am talking to the CEO of the Haringey Education Partnership, James Page. Now, we've spoken to a few multi-academy trust CEOs on the podcast. So it was really interesting to hear from a school's partnership like Haringey Education Partnership, describing themselves as the the glue in the system, really um, connecting schools in a collaborative way. Uh, We talk a lot about the importance of, of place, a family of schools working together and the work that they do being really schools led. In particular, hearing more about their work on school improvement, curriculum development, and um, what they're doing on racial justice. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. And as ever, I'd just like to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Hello, today I'm joined by James Page, who is CEO of the Haringey Education Partnership. Hi, James. Hi, Caroline. Lovely to be here. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. Perhaps you could tell our listeners a little bit about um, Haringey Education Partnership. What What is it and uh, what makes it different? Okay, fantastic. Delighted to. So um, Haringey Education Partnership is a not-for-profit schools-led school improvement company, which might sound like a bit of a mouthful, uh, and we can unpack what that means. But essentially, we focus on outcomes for children and young people through delivering the best school improvement available anywhere. So we don't do all the bits like HR, finance, buildings, admissions, and all the other kind of operational elements, which really frees us up to focus decisively on on schools and outcomes. So that's that's where we fit in. We work with all types and phases of schools in Herringay and Enfield. So we've got 95 member schools, whether that's maintained, faith, academies, free schools. Um, And we work across our nursery, primary, special, secondary and the largest FE college in the borough. So that's kind of smaller than a large local authority. Places like Kent and Essex are multiple times bigger, Um, but it's bigger than almost any mat just in terms of the number of schools uh, that we work with. And we cover about 35,000 school aged children, and young people. Um, We came out of Haringey Local Authority. Um, So I was uh, previously the assistant director for schools and learning uh, with a colleague and my number one strategic aim is from day one was to create Haringey Education Partnership and take it outside the council, um, which was a bit of a, um, an incredible and epic journey. Um, and maybe we can uh, go into a bit more of that. Um, but it's in essence, we are fully independent of the council, though we work very closely in partnership. Um, and we're very different from either a local authority or a MAT in our approach. Um, so I suppose, firstly, we are genuinely schools-led. So we are hand on heart, owned, governed by our schools. And one of the things that is absolutely critical uh, is that we know our schools inside out. Uh, So all 95 of those schools, we know absolutely inside out. Um, We are a single tier membership organization. So being a member school in HEP means you can only have a lot of us. You can't have a little bit uh, and it's not a transactional service. So you can't just think, yeah, I just want this little piece of what you do and then I'm merrily on my way. Um, We are all about school improvement that's built on deep and lasting relationships. And we really don't just focus on 
uh, compliance and data tracking and judging ourselves purely on the next Ofsted inspection. Um, though we do very well on those with 97% good and outstanding. So it's really that kind of high challenge, high support in a high trust environment and going right down to what is going to make the difference in terms of outcomes for children and young people. And I guess because we're uh, independent, because we're nimble as a, as a not-for-profit but separate company, we're able to really invest in relationships, resources that we think are going to make that difference in the classroom. Um, so, you know, we might come on to kind of elements of what our offer is. But for example, I'm really delighted to be working extremely closely with Christine Council and Steve Maston on the Key Stage 2 Humanities Curriculum, with Tom Sherrington and the Teacher Walkthroughs uh, on the Black Curriculum uh, at Key Stage 3. So a whole kind of series of things. And then I think the other kind of key bit is that we see ourselves as being the glue in the system. So we bring schools together as a family of schools. And it really matters, place matters, but it also matters that schools aren't isolated. You know, I think there was during uh, COVID, one of um, Secretary of State's arguments for why family of, families of schools, particularly as academies mattered, uh, was the mutual support and not being isolated. Well, for us, it doesn't matter what type of school you are, what phase you are, it is all about being part of the system. Um, so a schools led, but an absolute family of schools. Great stuff. Well, thank you. That that that's really useful for understanding more about about what you do and and your sort of history. Um, could you could you tell us, you know, um, tell listeners a little bit about um the the demographics of of, of Haringey and and Enfield, um, for people particularly who see kind of London, um, <laughs> as a big blob on a on a on a map, um, and tell us a bit more about about your your area. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, London is a is a huge part on the map, but it's also broken up into 33 different local authorities. So in fact, they're quite small when compared to other places. Um, so Haringey uh, is a borough in North London. We're somewhere between inner and outer London. We get the funding of outer London and have all the context of inner London which is, you know, a challenge in and of itself. Um, I think probably what we're most famous for uh, is the mighty Tottenham Hotspurs uh, and the um, state-of-the-art stadium uh, right in the heart of Tottenham. So a billion pound investment there um, in one of the most deprived areas of London. Um, we also have Alexandra Palace that people might know of and a whole host of other incredible kind of cultural organisations and landmarks. Um, but we are uh, ranked as the fourth most deprived borough in London out of those 33. And I think what's particularly uh, stark is the divide between the East and West. So I've grown up in London all my life and usually things are a bit more cheek by jowl. I think Haringey is a bit unusual in terms of having a train line down the middle um, with the highly affluent Highgate, Crouch End, Muswell Hill in the West and then in the East covering Tottenham and Wood Green. And of course the demographics are, are very different as well as uh, the levels of affluence and, and disadvantage um, and I suppose unsurprisingly um, despite having genuinely exceptional schools on both sides of that divide we've obviously got deeply unequal outcomes and it's that interrelation between geography affluence and disadvantage but also by ethnicity as we were talking about on the Black Caribbean and BAME achievement work um, but those pieces really kind of coalesce and, and, and come together. And I suppose our, um, our communities are so uh, 
are so varied um, that it's hard to kind of pick out, you know, bigger kind of groups within that in Haringey. Um, so white British students make up 20% of our children, young people. Um, and then our two of our uh, biggest groups um, that we focus on, particularly in terms of achievement, are our Black Caribbean uh, and our Turkish uh, in the broadest sense of Turkish, including Kurdish and, and related uh, communities. Um, so focusing on all of our different groups, uh, there's half of our children speak English as an additional language. Obviously, we've got very high free school meals in different places. Um, and it's, um, you know, it's quite the it's quite the challenge to kind of bring forth the, the power of the whole system, East and West together, to be able to support and support the children and young people to grow up in one borough. If I could just add, uh, so we also work with 15 primary schools in Enfield. Uh, and the reason that we have member schools in Enfield as well as Haringey is that the communities are shared. They don't stop at the local authority boundary. Uh, and Enfield has that similar division across the A10, for those who know it, uh, with a more affluent West and a, a, a more disadvantaged East uh, in Edmonton. Um, so it's very much related communities in terms of divide. Um, but I think being able to work with schools where we know our communities and we serve those communities is, is really fundamental. And, you know, as, as is the case with lots of other parts of the, the country, um, you know, the, the geographic distance between places doesn't have to be very, very far for them actually to feel like quite separate um, communities. Um, and in, in terms of the sort of mobility and, and young people moving between parts of those um, communities um, is it you know can be very limited um, so as you say the work that you're doing to kind of make everyone feel part of the same borough and and represented um, is is tricky perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your yourself and 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 how how you um, ended up um, in in the role uh, yeah, thank you. So, um, so uh, as chief exec of of HEP, it's um, I mean it's the greatest kind of professional joy and pleasure you know that I've uh, known so far because we can make a real and and really distinctive I think difference to children and young people across a whole system of schools. Um, and I think we can make a real difference to teaching. So you know I really feel like there's a, a, a strong mission there. Um, but I got to admit it's also quite personal. So as a father of two boys in the Haringey uh, school system. Um, you know, it matters deeply on a, on a personal level as well. Um, I have uh, worked across central and local government um, in schools and children's services. Um, so I was in Haringey Council prior to setting up HEP. Um, I said on kind of day one, I was given the strategic task of taking HEP outside of the council, developing it from, uh, from an idea. Um, before that, I was working on children's and adult services um, before taking on the school's uh, brief. So really kind of a big piece of understanding, you know, how the how the council operates. But I've also worked in the Department for Education, uh, at think tanks at Demos and the Institute for Government. So I've had plenty of those kind of strategic, candid conversations with ministers, special advisors, top civil servants. Um, but I've also worked on the business side. So I was, uh, for my sins, a consultant in PwC for a while, um, and also a smaller consultancy um, called GHK, which I absolutely adored. Um, so it's a kind of a varied, and I've found it a fascinating career to date. But one thing I haven't been is a teacher or school leader. So I'm very aware of that. 
um, and I make sure that I'm always talking, listening to our schools and working with the best in the field. You know, so it's not just, I say schools led, but it's so that we're not just reactive, which would be uh, a step up anyway, but uh, being able to lead confidently. Um, and I hope that kind of given my, my background, I actually bring something quite different to the piece locally. Yeah, and it's an interesting question because obviously people who have been um, school leaders or teachers themselves, you know, may have addressed things in one particular way based on their beliefs, their values or what they found effective in their their context. And it can sometimes be harder to see that that bigger picture. There's definitely pros and cons and, um, you know, a rich discussion to be had um, bringing all sorts of people together on 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 these issues issues and um as you say um really really clear understanding that um you know schools schools are deeply involved with the organization and and how it it runs it'd be good to hear a little bit more about what you're you're offering in terms of school improvement um it sounds it sounds really really interesting and 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 different to maybe some people's experience of kind of working with local um authority there could you could you tell us a bit more about that yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I suppose because I came from the local authority side, you know, I've kind of seen it on both sides of the fence, which has been uh, been really interesting. And and we were good in the local authority. You know, it was not um, it was not in a bad place. Uh, so at one point we got to 100% of schools good and outstanding. Not that that's the only barometer, but nonetheless, you know, so no one could say that you know the LA was was manifestly doing a bad job or, or anything like that you know it was um, there are a lot of positives um so i don't come at this in a kind of critiquing one to you know to um uh, make us uh, make us look better um, but what i think is you know is really kind of different is is a number of kind of characteristics i suppose um we can't make any school buy into us so we have to be the best and deliver clear value for money for every one of our schools you know um, I think understandably, but regrettably, a, a local authority model can focus predominantly on schools that are requires improvement or inadequate with not a great deal to offer on uh, for good or outstanding schools. And that's the vast majority of your schools. Um, you know, we need every single one of our schools, no matter how outstanding, no matter how much support they need to feel that 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 value is there, that we know them, that we're moving them forward as a school. And with the pressure on school budgets, you know, that is particularly acute as well. Um, so with that in mind, um, we are a membership organisation, which I mentioned, um, which uh, is really important because it's buying in, as I say, not only to a set of values um, of support and challenge, but also buying into having uh, that deep relationship that is not just transactional. So we offer a, a core uh, service so we're we're reassuringly expensive uh, at 19 pounds a pupil uh, for the core offer um, and that is because you know we're not doing this what's the point you know if we're going to be average if this is going to be something that skims the surface makes no real difference what is the point we might as well shut up and go home um, so we want to absolutely make this the best there is um, and for that core offer um, there's a huge amount that that goes into that and i'll come back to some of those elements if that's all right but just so that there is a, a kind of um, flexible element to what schools can can choose to purchase even more of us um, if they want uh, additional bespoke school improvement work 
uh, if they want um, CPD and governor training or head teacher performance management, all, those, all of those things we offer, um, but, and they come on top uh, of, of what we deliver. But I suppose the core kind of elements of what we deliver through that, through that core piece for the membership uh, is it's, it started really with the improvement partners. Um, so whilst we were recruiting a whole new team, as we set up from, from nothing uh, to start in September 18, um, we made sure that all of our improvement partners were as, as exceptional as they could possibly be, that they were either serving, and we have a number of those, uh, or uh, very successful ex-head teachers. So they've walked in the shoes of those that they are working with. Uh, and they are able to operate almost as that kind of extra member of SLT. Um, you know, they're not going to be kind of farmed out to do kind of a bit of work here and a bit of work there, but actually get right to the heart of, you know, what is what is making a difference. And we make sure that there's substantial time. So four and a half days is the minimum for each school per year, um, but going up to uh, seven days or essentially whatever it takes if a school needs it. Is, is the approach. So there is a risk-based model in there too. We've then um, really looked at, so if that really supports kind of the leadership, I suppose two other kind of elements I'd just really highlight, and these weren't necessarily there at the beginning of HEP, but we've developed and evolved so quickly as we've gone, um, is to focus on what makes the difference in the classroom. So I was mentioning the key stage two curriculum work that we're doing. Um, so a partnership that we've set up with Christine Council and Steve Mastin um, has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, originally, we asked uh, Christine in to talk about the new inspection framework, just to kind of understand the deep thinking behind, uh, you know, behind the framework and get to grips with it. And actually, I was so blown away by, you know, everything uh, that was being said that I kind of knew that was where we needed to be. And given we were in the fortunate position of having... Um, some money to set up from the council the challenge really was okay so you know this is all great how about creating it can't just talk about what makes a great curriculum let's create one you know so we don't offer things like curriculum reviews in school where we'll just come in you know tell you that yours is okay or it's weak or whatever else and then leave again you know this is trying to get to the answers and the solutions that are going to make a real fundamental difference and similarly on pedagogy um, working with uh, Tom Sherrington and, and the teaching walkthroughs has been, you know, an absolute um, game changer for us. Um, and, and that kind of piece of putting together the leadership support, curriculum, pedagogy, sits at the very heart of what we do. There's a huge amount of other things that go around it. There's all of the data analysis, um, the collaboration between schools, and we uh, spend quite a lot on uh, supporting our networks of schools within the membership briefings, discounts, partnerships, all of that sort of stuff that goes in as well. Um, but I really want to kind of keep us focused on those bits that go right into the classroom and, and make that difference. Wow, yes. And those um, the amount of time as well, I know, that, um, um, you know, devoted devoted to this this work feels, feels really um, significant. 
um and and as you say the sort of the, the scope and 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 scale of it just looking at the sort of the the, the best things that are out there um it's interesting because you're mentioning that sort of risk risk-based approach that that ultimately you apply but that um at local authority level you know things things can be very heavily skewed um towards towards the the, the schools that are sort of by Ofsted definition struggling um, or, or, you know, data that's been picked up by the local authority. What do you think might change about about approaches to school improvement? Now we've had kind of two years of very different data and a lot of conversation about how accountability could and should change. Have you got any thoughts there? Well, that's a, um, that's a, a really big question. So, I guess there are kind of multiple ways that that might play through. Um, so one is, uh, in essence, do we just snap back? Are we just going back to what you know the previous um, approaches were, and um, you know, but with a kind of greater emphasis on maths, a slightly tweaked education inspection framework from Ofsted, but not really. Um, and, I, and I'm broadly in favour of of the framework. I think it's been uh, I think it's been a you know a, a positive to focus on curriculum and pedagogy and put that at the heart of quality of education. So I haven't really got a problem with that part necessarily. Um, but yeah, are we are we just heading into um, you know back to the same kind of assessment system, back to the same data piece? And and I think data is important. You know, let's be frank about that. I, you know, I think it is really important to know you know how well our children and therefore how well our schools are doing in in supporting them. I guess um, what I would really like to see uh, is being able to kind of spell out a, a vision that is richer than that. Um, and it may not be that it can take place through the standardised assessment processes. It may not be just through Ofsted and their inspection framework, though some of their reviews can be quite helpful around things. Um, but I think being able to do that locally, you know, for a system of schools to say, actually, you know, we'll, we'll always make sure that schools are good on those, but that's just the starting point. And actually, we can think more broadly about the outcomes, about, you know, how rich the support is to all of the children about the values that you portray as a school about all of those things that you know that are developed um, but also about kind of becoming real leaders on uh, in the profession um, you know to take and I think we'll have to do this by demonstrating it and then kind of almost scaling by example in some ways which is going to take years and that's going to take time but that's what we're aiming at um, to really kind of show what what that could look like in a more exciting kind of version of things but I think there is definitely a kind of a sadness for me and I said I've worked across central government and in DFE but there's a sadness to me that you know the the centre of government is so focused on just the assessment data which we haven't had for ages Let's Ofsted, you know, essentially be kind of which should be the back end of the system, but essentially leads the system with the, whatever the framework is at the time. But I think it's a good one now. But, you know, there isn't that strategic drive from DFE that creates that richer kind of set of conversations. And that has been in the past, you know, Every Child Matters or whatever else is good examples. Yeah, as you say, um, interesting, interesting times that we that we're in with that um, assessment assessment data lacking, but that has definitely been, um, as you described, the way that the DfE 
um, has has looked at things um, previously. And, you know, um, as you say, there's a lot of people out there doing some some really fantastic work. And how do we get to a point where, you, you know, a, a truly um, school led um, uh, system um, where actually people are setting their own, you know, agendas more, and and you know the the outcomes uh, speak speak for themselves, as you say, particularly on that um, equality and and it, and something that works for all all pupils. Point, which which leads me on to um, talk to you about the the work that you've been doing on BAME achievement, because I know that's been um, a focus of your work. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about about what you've been what you've been doing there? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I start slightly uncomfortable because um, following the um, the commission uh, reports that came out, um, and rightly and understandably, the term BAME has been challenged broadly and you know just want to acknowledge that um you know it's not a, a term that we use kind of proactively and you know proactively support but it's kind of a pragmatic use of of the term so you know where we need to be more specific we really need to be specific about which communities we're talking about so just want to kind of lay that out as context but our work on black caribbean and bame achievement goes back four and a half years um so we haven't just come at this um and I said that we have great schools, strong outcomes on average, and you know what's coming. Um, but under that surface, the experiences and the outcomes for our students are just so deeply different. You know, we realized in 2016 that we had the biggest gap in the country in Haringey between our high-flying, generally much more affluent, white British students and our black Caribbean peoples. And that really is deeply painful. Um, we've controlled for disadvantage. We've looked at, um, you know, what explains the differences. And yes, of course, that makes a difference. But actually, it's not the whole picture. Um, so at Key Stage 2, for example, for reading, writing, maths, our Black Caribbean and our Turkish pupils perform well below all of our disadvantaged cohort as a whole. So we know that there's more going on. Um, and our Black Caribbean children in Haringey are nearly four times as likely to face a fixed term exclusion at secondary school as white British um, students. So we've, we've got to tackle this head on. This isn't something that is just disadvantaged by another name. Um, it's, it's related and interrelated, of course, absolutely. Um, but we absolutely have to tackle it head on. So we've been building the case with our schools, um, you know, right from kind of the earliest days, four and a half years ago, of that shocking, painful and awful data. Um, and saying that we have to address this directly. No one is saying that, you know, you personally are racist or choosing to make this happen or your school is a bad school. We've got great schools but we clearly have systemic issues. And I think that plays up and down the country, but you know, we absolutely recognize it here. So we've got to recognize it and address it directly, openly. And I think with crucially a willingness to have the difficult conversations, you know, unless we are willing to say, you know, to reflect on our own perceptions of the world and different communities, you know, we're not going to get very far. We have to be open to that. But in a non-judgmental, I think we can all safely say we're here for outcomes for children and young people. So um, in taking that work forward, um, we have, I think, probably the, the kind of heart of what we're doing uh, is through the steering group 
that we have in the borough, which is made up of um, myself, Director of Children's Services and others from the council, um, and then our school leaders and governors. And we've got absolutely no authority, uh, you know, to make anyone do anything, but we lead together on behalf of the system. So it's constantly talked about, constantly thinking about what's next on the agenda. We've had four conferences for all of our schools, so each year. Um, and the last one on inclusion and positive relationships, um, which included um, uh, uh, David Lammy on it um, and, and others as well, has had, uh, we had 215 people watching live um, and we have had uh, over 350 views on Vimeo since. You know, it has gone far and wide. It's not just for our schools. Um, and everything that we do on this, you know, is entirely open for everybody, anyone who wants to access the resources, you know, and anything we create on this. So, you know, I'd welcome anyone who wants to get in touch if they'd like to talk about it. Yeah, and we'll um, put the, the link to the recording um, on the on the notes for this um, podcast because there were some fantastic uh, sessions, as, as you say, and, and, and really important to, to share that far and wide. Thank you, I appreciate that. Um, so some of the other bits that just kind of sit around uh, what we've done. So we set up a pledge with eight quite far reaching commitments uh, in there. So essentially making Black Caribbean and BAME achievement um, one, of the, one of every school's absolute top priorities in their school improvement plan with an SLT champion, a lead governor for it, reporting mechanisms and positive engagement with parents. So all of those pieces in there, and then we've established those SLT and governor networks. So this is part of having those discussions all the time. Uh, we're delivering staff and governor training, which looks at the context in schools here, but also uh, the roots of uh, unconscious uh, bias. Um, and I delivered that with one of our improvement partners, Marva Rollins, uh, who's an absolutely fantastic leader uh, on this. Um, and she also leads um, what we call BAME reviews in schools as well. So this is free to all of our schools. And, and Marva spends half a day in school holding a space for those conversations with school leaders, governors, teachers, support staff, but crucially, obviously, parents and children as well. And then it's, it's not about bashing everyone, anyone over the head with the answers there, but about how do we then have a constructive conversation about what we do next in the school. We've had... Um, a, load of, uh, a lot of CPD with Professor Paul Miller. So um, he's delivered sessions on talking about race on the curriculum and there'll be a whole uh, set more from him. Paul's been absolutely fantastic to work with. Can't recommend him highly enough. Um, we've talked about uh, the curriculum extensively and in detail, including that work with Christine Council and Steve Mastin um, and working with the Black Curriculum. Uh, we're also working with the Parental Engagement Network because I think this goes beyond just you know the school gates. And yes, that's working through schools on parental engagement, um, but actually we need to have really positive engagement, you know, that reaches into um, how parents support their children as well. So I don't think, you know, schools can fix this on their own. Um, so I think that's gonna really develop over, over time. Um, and then we've put on additional opportunities. So we're developing a supplementary school, starting with year four and year seven, and for older students support with access to um, HE. So really going forward, we need to we need to kind of add teeth to, to what we're doing. So not just oh, sign the pledge and, you know, we'll follow up a little bit, but you are going to do X, Y and Z as a school. That's really important. But also, I think that focus from the last um, conference about relationships and inclusion 
and certainly tackling those exclusion rates. And we saw a spike when schools were back in September last year, which we really need to, to tackle. And then we're, we're also working with a number of other boroughs across London who have this equally high on, on their agenda. So particularly Hackney, Lambeth, Brent, Lewisham and others. So we're really, I think the more that we, the more that we do this together, not only as schools, but even as boroughs, the stronger we'll be. You know, and what we're trying to make sure is that um, it, it is easier to have those conversations than it is to avoid them. We've just got to change the tide on this. Um, so it's really fundamental. And, and as you say there, it's um, there's there's the there is the sort of realization piece, the listening and understanding, um, you know, at that deeper level, what's what's wrong, but then how to go about making it right, and you know, linking that so deeply to you know the other operations and things that you're doing so that it isn't it isn't tokenistic box ticking activity it is about fundamentally school school improvement and are are these children getting you know the the best chance that they have in their one chance to get educated um and yeah and it's sort of knowing knowing when to 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 focus on the single issue and when to sort of marry everything to, together as, as a as a whole um that can be that can be really powerful but does does sound like you're doing some fantastic work which we will of of, of course share um and any 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 sort of immediate future plans um that you'll be working on in this area uh we've mostly covered it but i think working on so for us it's where rather than taking a kind of scattergun approach of you know um, focusing on different areas, um, adding teeth to those core parts, but then, as I say, focusing on relationships, behaviour, inclusion, all the things that are going to support, you know, um, uh, children, and young people to feel included, to feel represented, to feel positively supported um, by those that are around them in school, um, and to be able to engage and not to have. Um, uh, those kind of difficult interactions that can so easily be triggered if we're not really careful. Um, so working through all of that, and I think that's really going from kind of the, right, what are we going to do specifically on exclusions around that set of processes, pre-exclusion, during the process and after, about how do we develop those relationships and support um, students where that behavior might be slightly more challenging to begin with, um, and develop that. And we've been working with uh, Tracy Campbell at Together Transforming Behaviour, who's just phenomenal. Um, and then that whole culture of inclusion and wheeling it all the way back, you know, what does the curriculum look like? You know, the vision, values and ethos of the school, listening to parents and engaging with them really effectively, you know, all of those pieces kind of coming together um, will be part of what, what we do next. Fantastic. Um, and in, just just back to thinking about you as an organisation a little bit more. Just wondering if if the, the the pandemic and the sort of remote experience that we've we've all had over this last wee while has made made it, you take any changes to how you deliver um, as as an organisation or kind of prompted any particular innovations for you. Absolutely has, um, but to be honest, at first. I really wasn't sure where HEP and school improvement would fit in during a global pandemic. It's not kind of top of the list when everything's about public health, health and safety, risk assessments, everything. Um, you know, particularly in the first lockdown, 
when there was a huge focus on that, you know, beyond, you know, developing remote learning was something that kind of had to catch up with that. And it was all just so new. Um, so, yeah, I really wasn't sure where we would fit in. And it was it was a challenge. Um, but I think the foundations were right for us. So because we know our schools so well and the trust with schools um, was so important to see us through. But we, we worked really closely with the council to support both strategically, but also quite practically in interpreting the guidance and communicating it effectively to schools but also kind of giving some of that just day-to-day -day advice. When schools are just have, I've just got this thing, I'm not sure what to do about this, you know, um, was, was really valued as well. But then we really wanted to keep school improvement on every school's agenda, you know, not to let this go. We can't, you could do, you could do responding to COVID 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you would not have got to the end of it. And yet we might have lost that strategic focus, you know, on where are we going to? as a school and I think it was so important to do that um, so there was obviously a focus on remote learning and developing a whole series of practitioner-led groups on that recorded sessions on how to deliver excellence through that in primary secondary special um, like everyone else we obviously got online very quickly uh, hadn't heard of zoom at the start of 2020 and obviously now everything is on zoom um, but CPD really led the way and actually it's been amazing. We've doubled, trebled audiences. Um, we started recording the sessions wherever possible and posting them to Vimeo. So it's not just one person goes away on a course. Everyone can watch it and rewatch it. And so it can actually have a much bigger impact as well as being much more accessible. Um, and we can access the best speakers nationally more easily as well because it's not a day trip, you know. Um, so that's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I would just highlight again the, the importance of um, the Black Caribbean and BAME achievement work. So, you know, if I'm really frank, I think when the first lockdown happened, we let it go a bit quiet and that was a mistake. And it took George Floyd's murder and the Black Lives Matter movement to really kind of say, you know, no, this is more important than ever. We still actually don't know what the impact, which will be so differential for different groups, you know, has been of that lockdown. So we have to come back and focus on that um, more urgently uh, than ever. Um, and some of the things have been a bit, have carried on, but have been a bit more challenging. So our improvement partners working with our schools, um, you know, it's been uh, mostly almost entirely online and that's fine, but A, the teaching isn't there to go and see in the same way. So, you know, they've dipped into kind of remote learning at times. Um, but also not being in school and getting the feel of school, that's been a bit more challenging. So bringing that back is kind of a bit more back to kind of the old school, but not entirely. Um, and then we've got a couple of areas. Um, so we're always innovating, always trying to evolve. Um, and there are a couple of areas that, that have, have really kind of um, come forth, I suppose, through this period. And one is um, partly taking advantage of the national changes to teaching school hubs, to the early career framework, the national professional qualifications. Um, so we want to really take this as an opportunity to work with our teaching school hub uh, and one of the national providers, but to develop not only CPD, which we've done really well, and as I say, double trebled the audiences, but to create a bespoke recruitment and development for your entire career as, a, as an absolute flagship. So, you know, you would want to come and be trained as the best teacher 
you would know that uh, working in HEP schools, you're going to have, you know, Christine Council, Tom Sherrington and others. So you're going to want to work in them. You're going to want to develop your career. We've got all the next stages for you. Because whilst in the past we've been kind of uh, school improvement through all of the mechanisms we've discussed, actually not taking that part seriously is impossible, you know, if we're really going to shift the dial here. Um, and I suppose the other one, um, which, and this is really formative, um, we're not even at the point of consulting with schools yet so it's a bit premature it has to be said um, but we are considering uh, establishing a charitable arm to tackle some of those areas that really matter for our children and young people but we can't get directly into through school improvement so it's not housing food banks or any of that it's not the core school offer which is what we work with schools on it's it's all of those extracurricular opportunities experiences you know, that middle class children take for granted and our disadvantaged children just do not have access to. And I, and I just think COVID has, has shone such a painful light on the stark differences in home lives and opportunities, not not just in different areas, um, you know, because different parts of Haringey are so divided, but between children sharing the same classroom and really seeing that. So, you know, what is it that we can do? Can we fundraise to get more money and to be able to do those sorts of things and to some degree uh, offer the equity that's needed to offer the opportunities that that are valuable in and of themselves but also support that wider achievement so you know really looking to uh, to keep pressing forward on some some key fronts yeah that sounds that sounds fantastic um best best of luck with all of that and you know we talked at the at the top there about the sort of government government desire for for schools to be be in these these family groups what what are you what are your thoughts about that so i think it's really important to to kind of situate this evolution of what are broadly called education partnerships which obviously is in our title but as i say we weren't the first to set up as an education partnership and we looked at others as we were doing so and learned a lot from them. And we work really closely with others like Tower Hamlets, Camden, Sheffield, Birmingham, you know, a number of, of education partnerships. We're all unique because it's not a top-down initiative explaining, you know, this is what you will do. And that's the joy of it, the absolute joy of it. Um, but we also share, um, we also share particular characteristics place really matters the family of schools really matters being schools led really matters and that's why i think every one of those that i mentioned and a number of others are all incredibly strong we learn a massive amount from each other um, and you know we can really um offer a huge amount and yet we're completely invisible in terms of policymakers in the dfe you know, it's all about it's the local authority model or it's the map model. And actually, we are completely agnostic on that. You know, we love our academies just like we love all of our other schools. Um, what we don't want is for, and part of where we came from originally, um, is not wanting schools to feel forced to academize when actually that's not right for them or they don't want to. So that is kind of the piece that I, you know, would really kind of push back on particularly. And you know, I, I, I've said that I feel like we're different to what a local authority typically offers um, in being schools led in being nimble as an organization, 
Um, but we retained crucially that part where place deeply matters, you know, in a way that there are in a way that large mats don't necessarily have that picking up a school here, a school there, you know, and and that is a real challenge to the system. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm utterly agnostic on the LA's versus mats. Um, but I think we're really going to lose something if it's uh, entirely kind of forced towards academization. We have very low academization in Haringey, um, about 50-50 for the secondaries and very low in terms of the primaries. Um, and, and I think we've really kept that system incredibly strong. Yeah, and, 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 and as you say, the, definitely the, the learning around you know, COVID has been if schools have somebody to reach out to and a connection, that's the critical thing. And it's just sort of been the case that in a lot of instances that was a trust but it doesn't necessarily mean that that is the only that is the only option um but um yeah it's it and it's it's always being in the right family for that school um um that's the that's the critical point as as well but interesting to to think about about um yeah a more um, you know a, a world where it is easier to to collaborate and and share ideas and 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 work in some of the ways that that you have and obviously other people have um during the pandemic just feels that um you know the direction of travel is that schools will be closer together than they ever have been which can only be to the to the good of serving um you know pupils in that local area and ultimately all, all people. So extremely grateful to James for talking to us today and thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com and please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions. <laughs>